Chapter Eighteen of The Bent Twig by Dorothy Canfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen: Sylvia skates merrily on thin ice. The design for the yellow chiffon dropped almost literally at Sylvia's feet the next day on the frontispiece of a theatrical magazine left by another passenger in the streetcar in which she chanced to be riding. Sylvia pounced on it with instant recognition of its value. It was different, and yet not queer. It was artistic, and yet fashionable, and with its flowing lines it would not be hard to construct. It was the creation of a Parisian boulevard actress, known widely for her costumes, for the extraordinary manner in which she dressed her hair, and for the rapidity of her succeeding emotional entanglements. Her name meant nothing to Sylvia. She tore out the page, folded it, and put it for safekeeping between the pages of her textbook on logic. That afternoon she began work on it, running the long seams up on the machine with whirring rapidity, acutely aware of her mother's silent, uncommenting passage back and forth through the sewing-room. With an impulse of secrecy, which she did not analyze, she did the trying on in her own room, craning and turning about before her own small mirror she knew that her mother would think the dress was cut too low although as she told herself looking with complacency at the smooth white exquisitely fine-grained skin thus disclosed it wasn't nearly as low-cut as the dresses eleanor hubert wore to any little dance she had long felt it to be countrified in the extreme to wear the mild compromises towards evening dress which she and most of the state university girls adopted as compared with the frankly disclosing gowns of the town girls whose clothes came from chicago and new york she knew from several outspoken comments that jerry admired eleanor's shoulders and as she looked at her own she was not sorry that he was to compare them to those of the other girl after this brief disposal of the question she gave it no more thought working with desperate speed to complete all her preparations she had but a week for these a week filled with incessant hurry, since she was naturally unwilling to ask help of her mother. Judith was off again with her father. This absence greatly facilitated the moment of Sylvia's departure, which she had dreaded. But, as it happened, there was only her mother to whom to say the rather difficult good-bye, her mother who could be counted on never to make a scene. About the middle of the morning of the 23rd of December, she came down the stairs, her handbag in her hand, well-hatted, well-gloved, freshly veiled, having achieved her usual purpose of looking to the casual eye like the daughter of a wealthy man. She had put all of her autumn allowance for dress into a set of furs, those being something which no ingenuity could evolve at home. The rest of her outfit, even to the odd little scarlet velvet hat, with its successful and modish touch of the ugly, was the achievement of her own hands under its absurd and fashionable brim her fresh face shone out excessively pretty and very young mrs marshall kissed her good-bye gently not smiling at sylvia's attempt to lighten the moment's seriousness by saying playfully now mother don't you be such an old worrier but she said nothing uncomfortable for which sylvia was very grateful she had no sooner embarked upon the big interurban trolley car which was to take her to merciton 
than her attention was wholly diverted from uneasy reflections by the unexpected appearance of two of the house-party guests eleanor hubert every detail of her complicated costume exquisitely finished as a mysonier painting sat looking out of the window rather soberly and so intently that she saw neither sylvia's entrance nor close upon her heels that of a florid-faced rather heavily built young man with a large closely shaven jaw who exclaimed joyfully at seeing miss marshall and appropriated with ready assurance the other half of her seat now this is surely dandy you're going to the house-party too of course he cried unbuttoning and throwing back his bright tan overcoat here's where i cut jerry out all right all right wait a minute how much time have we he appealed to the conductor as though a matter of life and death depended on the answer four minutes here goes he sprang to his feet dashed out of the car and disappeared leaving his coat beside sylvia it was evidently quite new of the finest material with various cunningly stitched seams and straps disposed upon its surface in a very knowing way sylvia noted out of the corner of her eye that the address of the maker woven into the neckband was on fifth avenue new york the four minutes passed and the conductor approached sylvia your friend's coming back ain't he he asked with a tolerant good-natured respect natural for the vagaries of expensively dressed young men who wore overcoats made on fifth avenue sylvia who had met the young man but once before when jerry had introduced him as an old friend was a little startled at having a casual acquaintance so publicly affixed to her but after an instant's hesitation in which she was reflecting that she positively did not even remember her friend's name she answered oh yes i suppose so here he is now the young man bounded up on the back platform panting holding his hat on with one hand a large box of candy in the other sylvia glanced at the name on the cover you didn't go all the way to buttons she cried he nodded breathless evidently proud of his feet and when he caught his breath enough to speak explained yep it's the only place in this bum town where you can get allegretti's and they're the only kind that are fit to eat he tore open the box as he spoke demolishing with ruthless and practised hands the various layers of fine paper and gold cord which wrapped it about and presented the rich layer of black chocolates to sylvia get a move on and take one he urged cordially i pretend i buy em for the girls but i'm crazy about em myself he bit into one with an air of prodigious gusto took off his hat wiped his forehead and looked at sylvia with a relish as frank as his enjoyment of the bonbon that's a corkin hat you got on he commented most girls would look like the old harry with that dangling thing in their eyes but you can carry it off all right sylvia's face assumed a provocative expression did you ever make that remark to any other girl i wonder she said reflectively he laughed aloud eyeing her with appreciation and clapping another large black chocolate into his mouth you're the prompt article aren't you he said he hitched himself over and leaned towards her something tells me i'm going to have a good time at this house party what sylvia stiffened she did not like his sitting so close to her she detected now on his breath a faint odor of alcohol and she was afraid that eleanor hubert would think her lacking in dignity she regretted having succumbed to the temptation to answer him in his own tone but under her bravado 
she was really somewhat apprehensive about this expedition and she welcomed a diversion besides the voluble young man showed not the slightest sign of noting her attempt to rebuff him and she found quite unavailing all her efforts to change the current of the talk the loud free and easy personally admiring note of which had the effect on her nerves of a draught of raw spirits she did not enjoy the taste while it was being administered but the effect was certainly stimulating not to say exciting and absorbed her attention so entirely that uncomfortable self-questionings were impossible she was also relieved to note that although the young man flung himself about in the public conveyance with the same unceremonious self-assurance that he would have shown in a lady's drawing-room eleanor hubert at the other end of the car was apparently unaware of his presence perhaps she too had some grounds for uncomfortable thought for throughout the hour's journey she continued to stare unseeingly out of the window or to look down fixedly and rather sadly at her gloved hands even through the confusion of her own ideas and plans and the need for constant verbal self-defense against the encroaching familiarity of her companion the notion flitted across sylvia's mind that probably eleanor was thinking of the young assistant in chemistry how queer and topsy-turvy everything was she reflected as she bandied lively words with a lively young man at her side continuing to eat his candies although their rich cloying taste had already palled on her palate here was mrs hubert throwing eleanor at jerry's head when what eleanor wanted was that queer rough-necked freak of an assistant prof and here was jerry's parents making such overtures to sylvia when what she wanted she didn't know what she did want yes she did she wanted a good time which was somehow paradoxically hard to attain something always kept spoiling it half the time something intangible inside her own mind she gave the candy box a petulant push oh take it away she said impatiently i've eaten so many now it makes me sick to look at them the donor showed no resentment at this ingratitude holding the box on his knees continuing to help himself to its contents with unabated zest and to keep the conversation up to concert pitch the only girl i ever saw who'd stop eating allegretti's while there was one left another proof that there's only one of you i said right off that any co-ed that jerry fisk would take to must be a unique specimen he did not further specify the period to which he referred by his right off but the phrase gave sylvia a tingling uncomfortable sense of having been for some time the subject of speculation in circles of which she knew nothing they were near mercerton now and as she gathered her wraps together she found that she was bracing herself as for an ordeal of some sort the big car stopped a little way out of town in front of a long driveway bordered with maple trees she and the young man descended from one end platform and eleanor hubert from the other into the midst of loud and facetious greetings from the young people who had come down to meet them jerry was there very stalwart his white sweater stretched over his broad chest all the party carried skates which flashed like silver in the keen winter sun they explained with many exclamations that they had been out on the ice which was so the three newcomers were assured many times perfectly grand perfectly dandy simply elegant 
a big many-seated sled came jingling down the driveway now driven by no less a personage than colonel fiske himself wrapped in a fur-lined coat his big mustache white against the red of his strongly marked old face with many screams and shouts the young people got themselves into this vehicle the colonel calling out in a masterful roar above the din miss marshall's to come up here with me he held in his pawing excited horses with one hand and helped sylvia with the other in the seat behind them sat jerry and eleanor hubert and the young man of the trolley trip sylvia strained her ears to catch jerry's introduction of him to eleanor so that she might know his name it was too absurd not even to know his name but the high-pitched giggles and deeper shouts of mirth from the rest of the party drowned out the words as a matter of fact although he played for an instant a rather important role in sylvia's drama she was destined never to know his name the colonel looked back over the sleigh-load shouted out all aboard loosened the reins and snapped his whip over the horses heads they leapt forward with so violent a spring that the front runners of the long sled were for an instant lifted into the air immediately all the joyful shrieking and screaming which had gone on before became as essential silence compared to the delighted uproar which now rose from the sleigh the jerk had thrown most of the young people over backward into each other's arms and laps where in a writhing promiscuous mass they roared and squealed out their joy in the joke and made ineffectual and not very determined efforts to extricate themselves sylvia had seen the jerk coming and saved herself by a clutch forward at the dashboard glancing back she saw that jerry and eleanor hubert still sat upright although the gay young man beside them had let himself go backward into the waving arms and legs and in a frenzy of high spirits was shouting and kicking and squirming with the others it was a joke after his own heart colonel fiske so far from slackening his pace to help his young guests out of their predicament laughed loudly and cracked his whip over the horse's ears they went up the long curving driveway like a whirlwind and drew up under the porte cochere of a very large brick and stone house with another abrupt jerk which upset those in the sleigh who had succeeded in regaining their seats pandemonium broke out again in the midst of which sylvia saw that mrs fiske had come to the doorway and stood in it with a timid smile the colonel did not look at her jerry nodded carelessly to her as he passed in and of all the dishevelled flushed and laughing young people who crowded past her into the house only sylvia and eleanor recognized her existence the others went past her without a glance exclaimed at the lateness of the hour cried out that they must go and fix up for lunch and ran upstairs filling the house with their voices sylvia heard one girl cry to another oh i've had such a good time i've hollered till i'm hoarse after luncheon a meal at which more costly food was served than sylvia had ever before seen jerry suggested between puffs of the cigarette he was lighting that they have a game of billiards most of the young people trooped off after him into the billiard room but sylvia after a moment's hesitation lingered near the big wood fire in the hall unwilling to admit that she had never seen a billiard table she made a pretext of staying to talk to mrs fiske who sat stooping her tall figure forward in a chair too small for her sylvia looked at this ungraceful attitude with strong disapproval 
What she thought was that such inattention to looks was perfectly inexcusable. What she said was, in a very gracious voice, "'What a beautiful home you have, Mrs. Fiske. How wonderfully happy you must be in it!' The other woman started a little at being addressed, and looked around vaguely at the conventional luxury of the room, with its highly polished floors, its huge rich rugs, its antlers on the wall, and its deeply upholstered leather chairs. When Sylvia signified her intention of continuing the talk by taking a seat beside the fire, Mrs. Fiske roused herself to the responsibility of entertaining the young guest. After some futile attempts at conversation in the abstract, she discharged this responsibility through the familiar expedient of the family photograph album. With this between them, the two women were able to go through the required form of avoiding silences. Sylvia was fearfully bored by the succession of unknown faces, and utterly unable to distinguish, in her hostess's somewhat disconnected talk, between the different sets of the colonel's children. This one is Stanley, Germain's brother, who died when he was a baby, the dull voice droned on, and this is Mattie in her wedding dress. Oh, I didn't know Jerry had a married sister, murmured Sylvia, indifferently, glad of any comment to make. She's only his half-sister, a great deal older. But you haven't a daughter old enough to be married? queried Sylvia, astonished. Oh, no, no, Mattie is the daughter of the colonel's first wife. Oh, said Sylvia awkwardly, remembering now that Mrs. Draper had spoken of the colonel's several marriages. She added to explain her question. I'd forgotten that Jerry's mother was the colonel's second wife, and not his first. She was his third, breathed Mrs. Fiske, looking down at the pages of the album. Sylvia repressed a good gracious of startled repugnance to the topic and said to turn the conversation oh who is that beautiful little girl with the fur cap that is my picture said mrs fiske when i was eighteen i was married soon after i've changed very much since my marriage decidedly it was not sylvia's lucky day for finding topics of talk she was wondering how the billiard game was progressing and was sorry she had not risked going with the others she was recalled by Mrs. Fisk's saying with a soft earnestness, I want you to know, Miss Marshall, how I appreciate your kindness to me. Sylvia looked at her in astonishment, half fearing that she was being made fun of. The other went on. It was very nice of you, your staying here to talk with me instead of going off with the young people. The others don't often. She played nervously with a gleaming pendant on a platinum chain, which hung over her flat chest, and went on. I, you have always seemed to me the very nicest of Jerry's friends, and I shall never forget your mother's kindness. I hope, I hope so much I shall see more of her. The Colonel thinks so, too. We've liked so much having him like you. The incoherence of this did not prevent Sylvia's having a chillingly accurate grasp on its meaning. It is the Colonel's hope she went on painfully, to have Jerry marry as soon as he graduates from the law school. The colonel thinks that nothing is so good for a young man as an early marriage, though, of course, Jerry isn't so very, very young any more. He, the colonel, is a great believer in marriage. Her voice died away into murmurs, her long, thin throat contracted in a visible swallow. At this point, only Sylvia's perception of the other's anguished embarrassment 
prevented her from literally running away. As it was, they sat silent, fingering over the pages of the album and gazing unseeingly at the various set countenances which looked out at them with the unnatural glare of the photographed. Sylvia was canvassing desperately one possibility of escape after another when the door opened and the lively young man of the trolley car stepped in. He tiptoed to the fireplace with exaggerated caution, looking theatrically over his shoulder for a pursuer. Sylvia positively welcomed his appearance and turned to him with a cordiality quite unlike the cool dignity with which she had planned to treat him. He sat down on the rug before the fire, very close to her feet, and looked up at her, grinning. "'Here's where I get another one on Jerry. What?' he said, ignoring Mrs. Fiske. "'Old Jerry thinks he's playing such a wonderful game in there he can't tear himself away. But there'll be something doing, I guess, when he does come and finds where I am.' He had partaken freely of the excellent white wine served at luncheon, the first Sylvia had ever seen, and though entirely master of his speech, was evidently even more uplifted than was his usual hilarious wont. Sylvia looked down at him, and across at the weak-faced woman opposite her, and had a moment of wishing heartily she had never come. She stood up impatiently, a movement which the young man took to mean a threat of withdrawal, ah uh, don't go he pleaded sprawling across the rug towards her as she turned away he snatched laughingly at her skirts crying out tag you're caught you're it at this moment jerry fiske appeared in the doorway he looked darkly at his friend's cheerful face and said shortly here stop quit it get up out of that he added to sylvia holding out his hand come on go skating with me the ice is great are the others going asked sylvia oh yes i suppose so said jerry a trifle impatiently the young man on the floor scrambled up here's one that's going whoever else don't he announced get yourself a girl then commanded jerry and tell the rest to come along there's to be eats at four o'clock the ice was even as fine as it had been so redundantly represented to sylvia out of doors leaning her supple exquisitely poised body to the wind as she veered like a bird on her flying skates, Sylvia's spirits rebounded with an instant re reaction into enjoyment. She adored skating, and she had in it, as in all active exercise, the half-wild pleasure of one whose childhood is but a short time behind her. Furthermore, her costume prepared for this event. Mrs. Draper had told her of the little lake on the Fisk estate, was one of her successes, it had been a pale cream broadcloth of the finest texture, one of Aunt Victoria's reception gowns, which had evidently been spoiled by having coffee spilled down the front breadth. Sylvia had had the bold notion of dyeing it scarlet and making it over with bands of black plush, the best bits from an outworn coat of her mother's. On her gleaming red-brown hair she had perched a little red cap with a small black wing on either side, one of Lawrence's pet chickens furnished this, and she carried the muff, which belonged with her best set of furs. Thus equipped, she looked like some impish, slender young Brunhilde, with her two upspringing wings. The young men gazed at her with the most unconcealed delight, as she skated very well, better than any of the other girls, she felt, sweeping about the pond 
in long swift curves that she was repaid for her ignorance of billiards jerry and the young man he called stub were openly in competition for her attention highly jocose on stub's part and not at all so on jerry's whose brow did not clear at the constant crackling of the other's witticisms on the shore burned a big fire tended by a manservant in livery who was a occupied in setting out on a long table a variety of sandwiches and cups of steaming bouillon sylvia had never encountered before a real manservant in livery she looked at him with the curiosity she might have shown at seeing a medieval knight in full armor jerry brought her a cup of the bouillon which was deliciously hot and strong experienced as she was in the prudent provisioning of the martial kitchen she was staggered to think how many chickens had gone into filling with that clear liquor the big silver tureen which steamed over the glittering alcohol lamp the table was set for that casual outdoor picnic lunch as she could hardly have imagined a royal board what beautiful things your people have she exclaimed to jerry looking at a pile of small silver forks with delicately carved ivory handles the rugs in the house are superb. Jerry waved them aside as phenomena of no importance. All of them tributes from Dad's loving constituents, he said, repeating what was evidently an old joke in the family. You'd better believe Dad doesn't vote to get the tariff raised on anything unless he sees to it that the manufacturers know who they have to thank. It works something fine. Talk about the presents a doctor gets from his grateful patients. Nothing to it. This picturesque statement of practical politics meant so little to Sylvia's mind that she dismissed it unheard, admiring, in spite of her efforts to take things for granted, the fabulous fineness of the little French napkin set under the bouillon cup. Jerry followed the direction of her eyes. Yep, tariff on linen, he commented pregnantly. The young man called Stubb now sped up to them, skating very fast, and swept Sylvia off. "'Here's where we show him how to do it,' he cried cheerfully, skating backward with crazy rapidity and pulling Sylvia after him. There was a clang of swift steel on ice, and Jerry bore down upon them, the muscles of his jaw showing prominently. Without a word, he thrust his friend aside, caught at Sylvia's hands, and bore her in a swooping flight to the other end of the pond, now deserted by the other skaters. As they sped along, he bent over Sylvia fiercely and said in a low, angry tone, "'You don't like that bounder, do you? You don't!' Sylvia was astonished at the heat of his suspicion. She had known that Jerry was not notably acute, but it had seemed to her that her dislike for his friend must be more than apparent to anyone. They had reached the edge of the ice now, and Sylvia's hands were still in Jerry's, although they were not skating, but stood facing each other. A bush of osier, frozen into the ice, lifted its red twigs near them. Sylvia looked down at it, hesitating how to express her utter denial of any liking for the hilarious young man. Jerry misunderstood her pause and cried out, "'Good God, Sylvia! Don't say you do!' Sylvia's heart gave a frightened leap. "'Oh, no, no, not a bit,' she said hastily looking longingly across the pond at the group around the fire. Jerry caught his breath with a gasp and gripped her hands hard. "'It makes me crazy to see you look at another fellow,' he said. He forced her eyes to meet his. "'Sylvia, you know, you know what I mean. 
Yes, Sylvia knew what he meant. Her very white face showed that. The young man went on, pressing, masterful, confident, towering over her. It's idiotic to speak of it now, out here, with all these people around, but it just got me to see you with that. I wasn't sure how I felt about you till I saw how I felt when you seemed so friendly with him, when you got off the car together. Then I knew. It made me crazy. I wanted you. Sylvia had not been able once to look away from him since he began to speak. Her mouth was a little open in her white face, her eyes fixed with a painful intensity on his. He moistened his lips with his tongue. Sylvia, it's all right, isn't it? With no change of expression in her strained face, Sylvia nodded. As suddenly and apparently as automatically, she took a backward step. The young man made a great stride towards her. There was a sound of quick strokes on the ice, and BOO! shouted the hilarious young man, bursting between them at railroad speed. He executed a marvelous pirouette and returned instantly, calling out, Less spooning in the corners, if you please, or if it's got to be, let me in. He was followed closely by a string of young men and girls playing snap the whip. They snapped just as they reached Jerry. The end girl flew off and bumped, screaming with joy, into Jerry's arms. He looked furiously over her head towards Sylvia, but she had been enveloped in a ring and was being conveyed away to the accompaniment of the usual squeals and shouts. The colonel had come down to take them all back, she was informed, and was waiting for them with the sleigh. End of chapter 18